0: Thanks, mark and good morning to everyone what a beautiful morning i love mornings like this i know we can't guarantee this every morning mornings with blue skies and bright sunshine i just love it i'm so glad that when god the great creator should be the lights on When the great creator created the universe, created this world, he did it in technicolor. I'm so glad he didn't do it in grayscale. What a terrible world it would have been. But this just brings joy to your heart. And even more when you're a believer and when you have the word of God in your hands. Because that brings real joy to your heart. Even when the sun isn't shining and the sky isn't blue. Uh, today we start a series a short series of 3 3 weeks and the title is witnesses to Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the title of the series. Today my subject is power to witness to who Jesus is. We need power to do that. The uh, Jesus disciples uh, In the beginning, as we're going to read from Acts, they needed the power of the Holy Spirit. So if they needed it, surely we do as well. Now, Acts uh, 1, verse 1, starts off with that wonderful verse, in my former book, Theophilus. I wrote about all that Jesus began to say and do. So who was Theophilus? Well, he's only mentioned twice in the entire Bible. In fact, in all world literature, he's only mentioned, as far as I know, here in the Bible, these two occasions. This one in Acts 1.1, and in Luke 1. Luke 1, chapter 1. Just going to read the first four verses just to, to connect us with uh, the book of Acts. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. I'm so glad it was an orderly account. It be chaos if it wasn't, wouldn't it? But he says, account for you, most excellent Theophilus, there he is. So this connects Luke with Acts. So even though neither books say who wrote them, Luke is not mentioned as the author of either books. But from the very beginning, the early church fathers all accepted that Luke was the author of the gospel of Luke. And Luke was also the author of the book of Acts. Now, although Luke isn't mentioned in either of these books, he is mentioned elsewhere. But only three times in the whole New Testament. Luke, he's not somebody we hear about all the time like the Apostle Paul. He's mentioned in uh, 2 Timothy 4.11, in Philemon verse 24, and Colossians chapter 4 verse 14, where Paul calls him the beloved physician a doctor and a companion, an almost constant companion of the Apostle Paul on his missionary journeys. But he's not mentioned by name all the time. It's where he writes and says, and God spoke to, or gave a vision to Paul, and we all conclu- concluded that God was telling us that we should go and do this. So he, he was there with Paul as a companion. When you look at uh, the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts and put them together, I was amazed to think of this just recently. That makes up 25% of the New Testament. Luke and Acts together. It's, It's a lot. And he says amazing things here in this book of Acts, inspired by the Holy Spirit. All that Jesus began to do and to teach. That was what he wrote in in the Gospel of Luke. And so really what I like to think of him doing now in the book of Acts is to write all that Jesus continued to do through the church and by the power of the Holy Spirit. We sometimes call it the Acts of the Apostles. Well, in, in a sense it is. We sometimes call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Well, yes, in a sense it is. But it's really the acts of Jesus Christ. He started doing his acts in the Gospels. And now he continued through the age of the church. Now verse 2 says, He was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And we need to be clear who, who the apostles are. The word apostle just means somebody who is sent. Barnabas is called an apostle in Acts chapter 14, verse 14. But he didn't qualify to be an apostle according to Peter later on in this chapter 1. Because verse 21 and 22, Peter says it's necessary to choose one of the men who has been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us. Beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, the ascension, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And this was what was so important. There needed to be witnesses. When people ask us today, how do you know that Jesus is alive? There were witnesses at the time. They saw him before he was killed, and they knew him before he was killed. And then they saw him afterwards when he was resurrected, they're witnesses to the resurrection. And this was what Peter said an apostle should be. Now, Barnabas wouldn't qualify for that because he didn't know Jesus before he died. So I think the Lord Jesus clearly meant to differentiate between apostles like Barnabas and Silas and Timothy were also called apostles. And the apostles with a capital A although the scripture doesn't do that but the 12 in other words <clears throat> the 12 disciples because Jesus gave them supernatural powers and we read that in chapter 10 Matthew chapter 10 verse 1 Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness In Luke chapter 6, verse 13, a parallel passage, Luke says, talks about the twelve, Jesus calling the twelve, he says, whom he also designated apostles. So that's where originally the name came into our New Testament. These were apostles, but these were special apostles. They weren't just like Barnabas, Silas, and Timothy, wonderful though they were. In uh, Chapter 2 of Acts, verse 43, we read, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. In 2 Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 12, we read, Paul speaking, I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. So there were this special, elite band called Apostles, who were miracle-working, and they also, of course, went on, some of them, to write most of the New Testament. So they were amazing, amazing men, inspired by God, motivated and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Just a couple of, in summary, just a couple of things about these apostles. First of all, note they were appointed personally by the Lord Jesus. He called the twelve to him and appointed them, designated them as apostles. On the road to Damascus, he confronted Saul of Tarsus and appointed him as the apostle to the Gentiles. And they were witnesses to the resurrection. The second thing I like. That was just like a summary. uh, An introduction. But we need to see that. The book of Acts is a transition book. It's a strange time of history. The Old Testament has been closed. The New Testament is beginning. And so there's this transition time. And the book of Acts is a historical narrative. It's what the writers call it. In other words, it's a true story of the past. And it spans this transition from the Old Testament to the New, from the Old Covenant mediated by Moses to the New Covenant mediated by Jesus, from the nation of Israel to the Church of Jesus Christ, or the Church of the Firstborn, as it's called in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23. The resurrected Jesus, we just, uh, we just heard read to us, the resurrected Jesus appeared to the apostles over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Verse 3. And Jesus promised that in a few days they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then the apostles asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And sometimes people wonder why they said that because they say, well, they're stuck in the past. They're still thinking of the Old Testament. But they weren't asking if he would restore the kingdom to Israel. They were asking when. Lord, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They had absolutely no doubt that God was going to restore the kingdom. I mean, much of the Old Testament says so. Jeremiah chapter 30. Verses 1 to 11, Isaiah chapter 65, the restoration of Israel, and much more. There are many promises there in the Old Testament. And they didn't doubt Jesus was going to do it. They weren't quite sure whether it was going to be next Tuesday or next Wednesday. I think they had the idea that it was going to be very quick. But for us, it's still future. Then Jesus said, You will receive power. First of all, he said, don't worry about timing. That's my paraphrase. He didn't say to them, no, you got all this wrong. This is not going to happen. He just said, don't worry about that now. That's not important to you now. Timing, you leave in God's hands because he decides timing. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The Greek word power is dunamis, and we get our English word dynamite from it. So this is the sort of explosive power that Jesus was talking about. You will receive explosive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Now this really jerked them into the present, because they've been thinking of the past. They've been thinking of, uh, well we really long for the days of Solomon and the, the days of King David when Israel was the very center of the world. And then he got, carries on to say, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the Greek word for witnesses, interestingly, is martyrs. He said, "And I will give you when... The Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my martyrs in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Believers are still being martyred even today, 2,000 years later. Then in verses 9 to 11, we have this interesting passage. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, And a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Presumably angels, although it doesn't say so. The Greek word angelos means messenger. That's what the angels are, messengers. And they had a message. The message was, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back. In the same way, you have seen him go into heaven. The apostle Paul writes to Timothy in uh, two Timothy four eight. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous Judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I mean, the, the apostles—they were. They'd been with Jesus one moment, and then he was taken up into the sky, and they're standing looking up, wondering what's going to happen. Is he going to fall back down again? And Paul says, not only to me, but to all, also to those who have longed for his appearing. Do you long for his appearing? I do. As I look around this world that we're in, and it's a wonderful world, as I've already said, but. It's been messed up by men. Well, and women as well, I suppose. But it's been so messed up. And there is so much hatred and so much war. and Yeah. The Lord Jesus is coming back. He promised his disciples several times. He's coming back to fix that. And it could be any time. We don't know when. Only God knows when. But we should be anticipating it. And the angels here said, well, when he comes back, you'll see him. He'll be coming out of the sky, just like you saw him go into the sky. Do we long for his glorious appearing? But the most important part, I mean, this is two chapters long, as Phil said, and I can't cover all two chapters, so I want to go into chapter 2 and look at the birth of the church and the first sermon That Peter preached this is chapter 2 is the first the birth of the New Testament Church verse 1 chapter 2 when the day of Pentecost came they were all together in one place suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind a hurricane that's my paraphrase came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire it wasn't tongues of fire it just seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, the NIV says. The New Living Translation says, more accurately, languages. That's what it means. It doesn't mean anything supernatural. These were just languages that people spoke. It was supernatural what was happening to them because they'd never learned these languages. As the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, there were staying in Jerusalem God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. It's estimated by some people that there could have been three million Jews in Jerusalem for these three great festivals during the year at the time of Jesus. Three million. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. Pretty comprehensive. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, languages. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? This was a symbolic, supernatural miracle. It wasn't one that was supposed to be repeated every every Wednesday night or every Saturday night. It was symbolic, it was supernatural, it was a miracle to show that the gospel of Jesus Christ would transcend language barriers. Effectively reversing what happened at the Tower of Babel. The confusion of languages you remember in the Old Testament at the Tower of Babel. That brought divisions. It split people up and sent them all around the world. And from that we got the nations. In Acts chapter 8. There was a symbolic extending of the church. To include Samaritans. In Acts chapter 10. Another extension to include Gentiles. And in Acts chapter 19. In Ephesus. The disciples of John the Baptist, who had not heard the preaching of Jesus, were included in the church. So it started on the day of Pentecost with Jews. They were all Jews. Three million, maybe, of them. But they were all Jews, or Jewish proselytes. And then Samaritans joined the new church. And then Gentiles joined the new church. And then the disciples of John. Who knew, who knew about the Messiah but did not know that Jesus was the Messiah. They were included in the church. So the new church was born. And it was comprehensive. Immediately, the apostles began evangelism. What we heard last Sunday here. Evangelism and evangelists. Immediately, they began. Verse twenty. Verse 14, then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd and started to preach to them. Verse 22, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you with the help of wicked men put him to death. By nailing him to the cross. And then verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses. And then verse 36. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus. Whom you crucified. Both Lord and Messiah. Messiah. Hebrew. Christ. Greek. Greek. So this was his sermon. It wasn't a complicated sermon, was it? It was easy for the people to understand. And they did understand. And look at their reaction. Verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted. And said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They were cut. To the heart. Verse 38. Peter replied. And here's the essence. The kernel really. Of his sermon. Peter replied. Repent. And be baptized. Every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive. The gift. Of the Holy Spirit. Now notice. It's not a, an easy believer sermon. There are a lot of easy believer sermons these days, you know. Don't worry too much. Just, you believe that Jesus existed. You believe he died for your sins. Sign here on this sheet and you're okay. You can go and sit in the back of the church and that's you done. That wasn't the way Jesus preached to the people of his day and that wasn't the way Peter and the apostles did. Sin, repentance, and lordship. Are mentioned, but in so many sermons today, they're not. We just try to make it too easy for people who we think want to become Christians. They were convicted when they understood what they had done. Do we understand what we've done? They had sinned. We have sinned. Do we understand what that is? An affront to Almighty God. An affront to our Creator. We have sinned, not against people around us, we have sinned against God Almighty. Such that He had to send His one and only Son into the world to sort it out by dying on the cross. It was that important to God. Sin is so serious to God, even though we may not see it as that serious ourselves sometimes. Now, repent doesn't just mean be sorry. It means to turn your life around. It means to be sorry, yes, but then turn yourself around and go in a different direction. Don't carry on doing that. And be baptized. The repentance is an inward thing. Nobody sees it. But baptism, that's what everybody sees. It's symbolic to show what has happened, that God has changed our hearts. And he goes on to say, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. He warned them because they were not going to get away with their sins, just as people in this world are not going to get away with their sins. They may not get much in the way of punishment in our courts these days. But there is a court coming in heaven and they will all, all sinners will be punished by God, a righteous God. Nobody gets away with sin. Unless those sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus. Unless Jesus has brought forgiveness. Well, we're told the last verse here, verse 41, about 3,000 people accepted Peter's message and were baptized and added to the church that day. Was this an example, perhaps, of uh, the disciples, the apostles doing greater things than Jesus? We read that in the Gospels. Sometimes people wonder what that meant, but, but Jesus, I don't think Jesus ever had A crowd of 3,000 people coming to follow him, coming to faith. Oh, people came to get food from him. Yes, they saw him as a social security ticket in those days because there was no government social security. But did 3,000 believe? Uh, I don't think so. In fact, when he demanded total commitment, like take up your cross daily and follow me, We read in John chapter 6 verse 66 from this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. The cost was too great. There was the story of the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and Jesus said to him go and sell everything you've got and give it to the poor. He turned away sad because he was very wealthy. The cost was too great. And notice with these 3,000 that came to faith, there is no mention of supernatural symbolism here. Nothing supernatural happened to them. They believed, they repented, and they were baptized. Establishing the pattern for the New Testament church. And that's what we have today. If people want to become Christians, they must believe and receive Jesus by faith. And then that's what happens in their hearts. And then they're baptized to show everyone. Symbolically that they've been cleansed. Now we may not be witnesses to vast crowds of people. People like Peter. But we must be ready, ready to witness to the individual. Every crowd is made up of individuals. There were times in... Britain's past when large crowds of people did come to faith, and preachers preach to large crowds of uh, of people, not today, but every crowd is made up of individuals, individuals ready for us to meet them. Are we ready to do that and be witnesses just as Peter did?